Welcome to another round of Drawing Board or Miro Board. Today we discuss technical diagramming with systems architect Maya. Let's go. First question. You've spent 10 hours slogging over a sequence diagram that should have taken five. Drawing Board or Miro Board? Drawing Board. And if I'm being honest, Miro would probably cut that time down by half. You know, with its AI tools and ready-to-go templates. Next, your diagrams become so bulky, it's more complex than the solar system. But all it takes is a few clicks and... It's Miro. I've used those technical shape packs way too many times. And stuff is just digestible on its infinite online canvas. Now, the final question. Everyone's brought in. But you have to make all these tasks all the way over in Jira. But wait, it's done. Is it... Miro. Easy with its two-way Jira sync. Easy to plot dependencies. Everyone always knows what's up. And she's done it. Join over 60 million people creating technical diagrams without workflow glitches. Get your first three boards for free at Miro.com. That's M-I-R-O.com. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of Center Court with Hall of Famer Ralph Sampson. I'm Jason Zone Fisher. Ralph, what an amazing NBA Finals. We made it through the bubble. The season was completed. A huge congratulations to Adam Silver and the NBA for pulling this off. Made it through the bubble with zero COVID cases. Yep, that's you know, not, incredible. Not zero, so very impressive. So it's something to say that about how they did it. Now, everybody... You know, football is hard to put in a bubble. Hockey is hard. Baseball, all those, all those sports are very hard to be in a bubble because of the way the sport is structured outside. Hockey could probably do it, right, because they're in the mm-hmm. arena. But uh, Adam Silver, you know, again, we started this thing. I was amazed, again, at the fans in the background virtually to the way the atmosphere would be. And it may be, I mean, you know, I, I get the fans need to be there, but it's one of the best uh, – Best thing that I've seen, you know, to, to come and with the expectations, not knowing what they would be, that it was amazing. And definitely kudos to Adam Silver and the whole NBA. They said it was like 6,500 people, you know, working on this thing. So, wow, you know, with all that going on, it's kind of crazy. It was a huge success and it was great for all of us NBA basketball fans to have the league back and the level of competition at the highest it's been in a long time. And the finals was was really terrific. I mean, after that game one, when the Miami Heat lost Bam Adebayo and Gordon Dragic to injury, and it was a Laker blowout, a lot of people said, oh, this series could be a joke. It could be a wrap after this. The Miami Heat really made it a series. Jimmy Butler was uh, a worthy adversary to LeBron James. He really impressed me. What impressed you most about the, uh, both the Miami Heat and just the finals in general, Ralph? Well, just to piggyback off of what you just said, I mean, Jimmy Butler and LeBron James averaged almost the same points, rebound, assist a game. Mm-hmm. You know, 29, 28. I mean, it wasn't that far apart. And it's Jimmy Butler showed uh, how valuable he is as a player and, and a part of a team. Now, he's not as dominant as LeBron. Uh, he's not as physical, gifted as LeBron, but he's, he's, he's gifted in ways – you know, his mid, I mean, you are, his mid-range game is really, really good. He don't shoot three like LeBron is going to shoot, but he goes to the basket. And when Miami was flowing with their offense, they would be hard to beat anybody. And they proved that early in the playoffs, beating the likes of the Greek Freak and, and Milwaukee and that team because they thought they were going to just lay down. And they played extremely well. So kudos to Pat Riley for getting yeah. all the players in place. And then I'll go to Goran Dragas because I – coached him in Phoenix when I was there as a, a player development coach. And his statement was, I waited all these years to get here and I get injured. Why now? Yeah. And then he comes back mm-hmm. in the last game. Now he took a chance to get hurt again, but his contract is up. So he's got to prove he can come back. But what a, uh, uh, what a, what an effort on his part to even come back and play it all in a blowout game um, that, you know, you kind of figured out, I think everybody, you have this opinion as well, that 
you thought this type of game would be a couple games before. Mm-hmm. It never yes. happened. And I just think Miami just ran out of gas. I mean, they just played their hearts out. And Jimmy Butler, I mean, Jimmy Butler didn't have a Jimmy Butler game, right? But I did mm-hmm. think they ran out of gas. And you can They see did. They did. I mean, they they showed so much heart, so much hustle, so much grit and determination, this Miami Heat team. And, you know, just making it to the finals and pushing the Lakers to six games. I know they're disappointed they're not walking away with an NBA championship. Uh, but really, I think they surprised a lot of people and the future is bright in Miami. But let's talk for a second about LeBron James and the L.A. Lakers. This is with everything they went through this season, the LA Lakers started the season in the preseason almost in exactly a year ago in China with mm-hmm. all of the drama that was taking place over there, them being locked in their hotel rooms, the games being canceled, them not knowing if they're going to make it out or not. Then obviously dealing with the tragic, tragic loss of Kobe Bryant and how that affected every single LA Laker, but especially LeBron James, who just took it on his shoulders uh, to lead this team and this city and this franchise after that moment to COVID and the season stopping and winning the bubble. I mean, so many challenges that this team faced. It really is an incredible accomplishment. And in my opinion, I think when it's all said and done, LeBron James will go down as the greatest player of all time. What do you think about that, Ralph? Well, I'll go back to Miami for a second. They have a nucleus of talent that's very young. Very. So one or two pieces here and there, and you got to watch out because they, they, they will compete for titles mm-hmm. over the years, right? So if they can yeah. keep it together, which Pat Riley can do, then they will be very special to watch over the years to come. So I look forward to what they do in the following years to come. Mm-hmm. But, you know, LeBron made a statement at the end of the game, you know, you know, now look at me, basically. You know, give give me my give me my right. Give me give me my worth. Give me who I am. And mm-hmm. so he was making a statement uh, to to the world that I'm LeBron James, and you know I might not be six championships like Michael Jordan or uh, Bill Russell or whatever, but I've been there nine, ten times. Ten times. Uh, you know, and and I played at a high level, and I've gotten a couple MVP awards. Uh, I was watching Instagram and, and Bill Russell said congrats to, you know, he wasn't there about because of circumstances, but congrats to LeBron being on the, you know, the Bill Russell MVP award. And then Adam Silver says after the game, well, similarly, you probably have the award named after you. So <laughs> that's very large when it comes down to who LeBron is. But just think about it, all of the category, he beat Derek Fisher in a number of playoff games. 260, 260 playoff games. games. That's enough uh, for three regular seasons, Ralph, right. of elite basketball. But the thing is, he's never missed a playoff game. Yep. He's never been injured. And then I don't see him slowing down yet. No. I mean, I think he gets tired sometimes when the game goes a little bit and they take him out. But, I mean, he's still averaging 29, 30 points a game in the playoffs, triple doubles, um, and he keeps his body shape. So it's a testimonial to who he is, what he does, and how he's built. Uh, but as far as greatest players, <clears throat> I don't know how anybody says a, a player is the greatest player of all time. But I think, mm-hmm. think you got to go in eras. He will be in the top echelon of the of the NBA history for for life. But you know, I still go down with Bill Russell being the greatest of all times, no mm-hmm. matter who says what you know whatever. Because I think the era he played in, you know, and Boston and the whole stuff he had to deal with is totally different than today's world. But LeBron is going to be, you know, if he catches Kareem and points. I mean, that's what I'm. That's what I'm hoping he does. I think he stays in the league long enough to catch him in points. That's gonna make him the greatest of all time, right there. When it comes down to the overall NBA, so kudos to LeBron, kudos to Lakers. You know, um, uh, the team, the city, the organization. There, they had a a rough time with Kobe this year and all stuff they had to go through. I mean, uh, they had highlights of uh, Anthony Davis and Kobe talking at the Olympics, right? And Mm -hmm. when when Anthony was young. And so he remembers that. And you can see the emotion, I think, on Anthony Davis' face, right? I, I finally got to this point of all the years being in New Orleans. I finally got to the pinnacle of the NBA where I've been trying to get to. Now I think he understands, you know, what it takes. And I think he'll be a lot better next year than he was this year. Yeah. Well, I already can't wait for next year. I wish it would. Uh, it's coming. It's right on corner. I mean, right now we'd be in training camp right now. Right? We would. Yeah. In the normal times, the NBA season would be starting in the next two yeah, weeks. Yeah, and yeah. it just ended today in October, this bizarre world. Well, we're going to get into 
everything about the NBA bubble and the NBA season, the finals in next week's episode. But here we are just a few weeks away from election day, perhaps the most important election of our lifetime. So Ralph and I wanted to focus today's episode on the upcoming presidential election on November 3rd. I can't believe that it is so close. You know, weeks away, not far. I mean, yeah, 20 days away. I know. So we're here. We are three weeks away from Election Day, and it's going to determine a lot about the future of the country. So that's what today's episode is really going to focus on, because there's honestly nothing more important going on in our country and in our lives than what will be determined and decided on November 3rd. So we have a very special guest joining us today. His name is Mark Melman. And while you might not know him by name, You have definitely used and heard a lot of his research over his career. He's the president and CEO of the Melman Group. It's a polling and consulting firm whose clients include leading political figures, Fortune 500 companies, some of the top public interest groups. He's helped guide the campaigns of 30 U.S. senators, 10 governors, over three dozen members of Congress, and he is regarded as one of the nation's leading public opinion researchers, communication strategists. He's a three-time pollster of the year. He's been deemed the prince of polling. Nate Silver uh, from the New York Times, who you've probably heard of, he called the Melman Group the most accurate campaign pollster in the country. Uh, He's written op-eds for the New York Times, the Washington Post, the LA Times, the Wall Street Journal. He writes an influential weekly column that I read for The Hill. He is a brilliant political mind who knows the numbers, knows the data, knows what the keys to this election are going to be. So I'm really excited to chat with him more about his insight on the upcoming election. Yeah, it should be a fun interview. I mean, everybody should go vote. Mm -hmm. I was watching the NBA and some of their pre- uh, episode that they had there as far as people and they said, you know, make a plan, make a plan to vote today. Don't wait until the last minute to vote. So it's going to be interesting to see how this guest tells us about voting, the history and his polling. And again, free time poster of the year. So we're going to joke about that a little bit as well. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, and Ralph, as you mentioned, the NBA has really done an amazing job during this playoff run and, and the finals of emphasizing the importance of voting, that every vote matters, that you have to make a voting plan, that you need to exercise your right to vote. And I I know this better than most. My father was in politics my whole life. He was the former attorney general of Ohio, lieutenant governor, uh, very proud of his political career and all he did in the state of Ohio. But in 1990, he he won the election for attorney general of the state of Ohio in the closest election in Ohio history. He won by 1,234 votes. One, two, three, four out of 3.4 million votes cast. That's less than one vote per precinct, per polling place, you know, in a precinct, uh, which earned my dad the nickname Landside Lee. Uh, And it, it really just shows that every vote does matter, not just in a presidential election, but at a statewide level, at a local level, that your voice matters, your vote matters. I, I saw it firsthand with my own father. And, um, you know, it's it, it is something that I've always believed in. No matter who you're voting for, the most important thing you can do is get out and vote. It's your right to vote. You should vote. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we'll get into all of that with Mark, who actually, this is how I know Mark Melman, our guest today. He was my father's pollster four times during uh, his career, including that very close race back in 1990 when my father was elected attorney general. So we'll get into all of that with Mark. Uh, I'm really excited for this episode. There's nothing more important, as we said, than exercising the right to vote. And we're going to get some very interesting insight into this year's election with our guest today, Mark Melman. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. 2020 is a crazy year and we are literally just days, weeks away from the election. So I know how busy you are. So we appreciate it even more. It's a great pleasure to be with you both. So, Mark, you've been called the Prince of Polling. You're a three-time pollster of the year. You know numbers, you know statistics, you know analytics. Talk to me a little bit about the importance of polling uh, in an election. Well, you know, there's different kinds of polling. You know, when you read polls in the newspaper, 
they're just trying to make a story. Uh, they're trying to figure out who's ahead and who's behind. We're on the strategic side of the business. Uh, that is to say, we're trying to use those polls to figure out what our message is. Mm-hmm. And again, we're not trying to invent a message out of whole cloth, but every candidate has a lot of positions on the issues. They've done a lot of things in their lives. They have a lot of important values. Uh, and we have to figure out which of all of those things are the one or two things that if we say them over and over again, are going to get us the most votes. So we've got to figure out what we want to say. We have to figure out our targets. Who are the people that are really open to persuasion? So who do we want to get communicate that message to? How do we want to say it? Through what channels do we want to say it? With what vocabulary do we want to say it? So those are the kind of questions that we answer with polling, with analytics, with stats. And they're all critically important questions to develop a strategy. If, if from a political point of view, if you know what you want to say, who you want to say it to, how you want to say it, when you want to say it, you've gone a long way to developing your overall strategy. Oh, well, we, Jason, we, me and Mark, we have something in common. Three-time college player of the year, three-time <laughs> poster of the year, right? So that's uh, right. guys so it's great. So uh, thanks for joining us hard. for sure. Both of them are hard, I'm sure. But, uh, uh, you know, you never, I'm sure you never expected to be one or two or three, right? You just, you know, it just happened naturally due to your work ethic. So I commend you for, uh, your award there, and uh, we got right. something in common. So three and three. So Jason, you you have none of those. Uh, yes, I, I'm neither <laughs> poster of the year or college player of the year. Uh, we got to yeah. get you announcer, co-host of the year. We got to do something. Right? Thank you. I appreciate that. You know, by association, I feel like there you I'm go. Elevated. There you go. You, you got know. you know good people. <laughs> so it, it's interesting to me to hear the analytics of uh, polls because we see them all the time on television. We try to understand them. Like, how do people, you know, even say somebody's up two percent, one percent, or whatever from that perspective? Because I think about me and Jason have spoken about how do you look at from a sports perspective? And and when I played, we didn't have any analytics. Today, each NBA team has this hundred fifty thousand dollar year licensing deal in every arena that says, "Mark, you should shoot from that spot right there because you're effective." But it doesn't tell you that Jason's own fish is guarding you. <laughs> so so it's a little bit screwy when it comes to the sports world. How does it affect the polls when you look at them from that perspective? Because everybody's not being, I mean, they don't call me and poll me for my opinion of who I want to vote for. How does that work in, in your view? Well, look, the, the good news is when you go to get your blood tested, for example, they do not have to take all your blood to find out how much cholesterol you have. Mm-hmm. Uh, they take a sample. And okay. if they take the right kind of sample, uh, they can project that to your body as a whole. And the same thing is true uh, with polling. If you have a random sample, there's a lot of mathematics behind this, but the bottom line is if you have a random sample of the population, you can know within a certain level of statistical confidence what the real results are, what the, what the results are among the population as a whole. But there's problems because we don't always get a truly random sample. And we aren't necessarily measuring objective facts like the shot or where you took the shot from or mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, so the way in which you design the questions, the way in which you design the questionnaire, all of that can have an impact on the polls. And so sometimes you have polls that aren't quite accurate. Uh, a lot of times you have polls that are accurate, but there are times when you don't. And there's a lot of polls that are accurate, but misinterpreted by the people trying to analyze them. So huh. the numbers, whether it's in sports or whether it's in politics, the numbers don't always speak for themselves. They have to be interpreted. They have to be interpreted correctly. Sure. Well, well be, being that, so United States, very powerful company with all these analytics that you're talking about, what I'm talking about with sports as well. And we can't get a poll. My mother works the polls uh, every year. And she would tell me, I'm working the poll this year. I said, well, you got COVID. So um, we will make sure you're in the back somewhere. Okay, great. So we, we can't, she's 80, 82 years old, but she's very strong. But she says, without a shadow of a doubt, that at the polls ended at 15, 20 minutes later, we know what our count is. But in some areas, we can't get the voting straight, you know, and, and I mean, we're a powerful com- country. We can go to the moon and back. We can do all this analytics, but we can't get voting straight. Why is that? Well, it's really a great question. And the answer is complicated. You know, first of all, in most places, most of the time, we do get it straight. I mean, we have, you know, hundreds, hundreds of millions of people voting and mostly we get it right. The problem is every state and in many cases, every county or locality controls their own elections. Um, and so some people are uh, put resources into it. They put thought into it. They put care into it. 
In some places, people put less thought and less care and less resources into it, and all of that matters. So it's a very decentralized system, uh, unfortunately, and that decentralization means there's going to be unevenness. Um, so you're, and look, the other thing that happens is you have political efforts to suppress the vote. Uh, I'll be just partisan here for a second. Donald Trump uh, and Republicans this year are anxious to not have Democrats vote. And so you see a situation in Texas, for example, where the governor said, OK, we've got COVID. We're going to have a lot of people voting uh, early uh, uh, without standing in line at the polling places. But we're going to only have one place in every county that's going to be able to be able to collect the ballots. Um, that's a, a multi-hour drive in some cases. It's millions of people living in the same county, in Democratic counties, uh, and just one place to drop off your polls. That is a conscious, purposeful effort to screw things up with a purpose. And the mm -hmm. purpose is to prevent Democrats from voting. And Jason, you but you have a right to vote. I mean, that's our, you know, obligation yeah. in this country to vote. What do, you, what do you think about that? Well, it's horrible. I mean, what Mark said, I think, is absolutely true. But at least more people recognize it now because this is something that has happened in past elections. And we look back on it sort of Monday morning quarterback and say, uh, how did we let this happen? How could this have happened? Now, I think we're almost expecting this to happen. So I've seen more measures uh, and initiatives taking place right now, like LeBron James and his more than a vote campaign, opening up arenas that are empty right now because of COVID to be voting centers and things like that. Mark, do you think that could have a real impact on the outcome of this election, making it easier for people to vote, hopefully, in a lot of these places where certain interests are trying to make it more difficult? Look, the reality is we have an obligation to make it as easy as possible for every American citizen to cast a ballot. Uh, as Ralph said, this is a right that we have. Uh, it's a duty that we have as citizens. Uh, it is a duty that most citizens exercise, but the government has a responsibility to make it easy, not difficult to exercise that right. Uh, so even if it doesn't change the impact, even if it doesn't change the outcome of the election, we have a responsibility to make it easy. Um, yes, though it could affect the outcome. Look, we had a, in 2016, we had some very close states uh, Michigan, very close, fewer than uh, uh, 15,000 votes different uh, in Michigan. Same in Wisconsin. Um, very, very small numbers of, of voters made a huge difference uh, last time. In fact, the number of voters that fit in that stadium in Pennsylvania, where they played the Little League World Series, right, 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 right. if just that number of people switched their vote, Hillary Clinton would be in the right places. Hillary wow. Clinton and not Donald Trump would be president. Wow. Wow. That's a uh, interesting way to look at Very it. Close. It's crazy. And it's so, so crazy how the system is set up with the Electoral College that it really can come down to that, to one state, to one stadium worth of people deciding the outcome of the entire country. Absolutely. And look, the, look, the Electoral College is honestly, it's a vestige of slavery. Uh, it's something that we shouldn't really have, in my view, in our Constitution. But it is part of our constitutional process. It is the way we've conducted elections since the beginning of our country if we i think it needs to be changed but it has to be changed legally through the process um, right. but right now that's the process we deal with how do you change that type of process i mean i know it's got to go to try the you know federal court and, and the supreme court and all that how do you change that process well it actually requires a constitutional amendment okay. uh, it would require a constitutional amendment which means it has to be passed by uh two-thirds of the congress and i believe two-thirds of the states as well so it's a long and difficult process. We don't right. have too many amendments to the Constitution for that reason. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, let's talk a little bit. Obviously, you um, are someone who believes in in polls and statistics and analytics. You've had a very successful career on that. What happened in 2016? Because I was pretty confident. I think most Americans were pretty confident that Hillary Clinton was going to be elected president because many of the polls said so and it was looking good until obviously election night when it felt like oh we can't trust these polls as the results were rolling in well, first walk me through what your reaction was like uh, watching the numbers come in on election night as they came in and kind of detail where that difference was what what happened that night well my reaction could be summed up in two words oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was just unimaginable on so many levels. Uh, but look, 
we have to separate a couple of things here. First of all, the national polls were pretty accurate. The national polls said that Hillary Clinton was going to win by two or three points. She won by a little over two points. Mm. That's pretty accurate. Um, the problem is, as we just were talking about, we don't elect presidents through the national popular vote. We elect them through uh, the Electoral College and through what happens in individual states. And we've always had some state polls that are off, some that are better, some that are worse. It so happened that in 2016, we had this perfect storm of the pro most problematic polls being in the most important states. Mm -hmm. And the truth is polling is hard. Uh, it's expensive, it's difficult. And most of the polls done by the newspapers and so on, you know, they, newspapers are in trouble these days. They're trying to save right. money. Their podcasts are competing with them, mm -hmm. uh, other forms of information. <laughs> uh -oh, and it's so, our fault. It's our fault. <laughs> <laughs> they think it's everyone's fault. Yeah. <laughs> um, but look, at the end of the day, they're trying to save money and they skimp. And when you skimp, you get bad results or you can get bad results. And that's what happened in a few of these key states like Michigan and Pennsylvania and Wisconsin. You had some bad results uh, and that on the polling side that made a real difference. Uh, so pollsters have learned some lessons about how to do things better. Mm. We still have some bad polls, but there's also an error of, in, an error of interpretation last time. Right. You know, you look at people like Nate Silver at 538 were saying that, you know, uh, Hillary had a 75% chance of winning. Mm -hmm. That's probably right. I, I wouldn't argue with that. I was saying the same thing. But what the question is, how do people interpret that? That doesn't mean it's a sure thing. Mm -hmm. I've spent the last four years trying to explain to people that 25% events do happen about one of every four times. Um, <laughs> right. That's what it means to say that it's got a 25% chance of happening is that one of every four times, that's what's going to happen. And sure. so when you say someone has a 75 or an 80 or 60% chance of winning, that doesn't mean they're definitely going to win. That's mm -hmm. an error of interpretation. Part of that's the interpretation the press put on it. Part of that's the interpretation the public put on it. Both made a mistake. So you, you talk about that. So some people have asked me as well. So why vote if the you know electoral college and all those will dictate who I know you got to vote for that state, but 15,000 votes one way or another puts Hillary Clinton into the white house on the popular vote. So people that, why should I vote? Why should I even think about voting if the system is gonna be a little bit screwed one way or another? Well, we do have a system and the system does obey the rules. So the electoral college by and large reflects the votes in those states and everybody's voting in a state. So your vote there can make a real difference in which way those electors go. And we have had some very close elections. We had an election in Virginia I believe it was last year, that ha was decided legally by a flip of a coin because it was an exact tie. Uh -huh. And that exact tie determined which party controlled the legislature in Virginia. So essentially, at the end of the day, a wow. flip of a coin determined which party was in charge of the legislature. One more voter could have made all the difference, not just in that district, but in terms of the overall control of, of Virginia's legislature. So individual votes do make a difference. But the reality is, as we said, voting is important and we need to be telling our friends and our family that voting is important and we expect them to vote as citizens. We expect them to exercise this right. The reality is people died for this right. People yes. suffered to get this right. It is an important right. And we have no we have no right just to toss it aside. We have an obligation mm -hmm. to exercise that right. And we need to make it clear to our friends and family that we expect them to exercise that right to vote. Do you think that the mail-in ballots, I mean, I saw something on the news the other day where some guy had all these mail-in ballots, whatever, in the back of his truck or something, maybe a postal worker, something like that, was trying to, I guess, not deliver them or something like that. Do you think that's going to be an issue? I mean, people have done mail-in ballots for years, but now it's, you know, uh, our current uh, administration thinks that, you know, there's going to be kind of some issues with that, which, I'm expecting all kinds of issues to happen come next, you know, next in 20, 26 days or whatever the, the vote may be. What do you think about mail-in and, and, and does it work? Doesn't it work? How did that affect the vote? It's going to be dramatic this year, how it affects it, I do believe. Look, the, the truth is we, we have a number of states uh, that have all mail elections and have for years, and it has worked perfectly well uh, in those states. Uh, we have no reason to believe that the pro the process is flawed. You know, are there individual circumstances where something may happen? Yes, of course. Yes, yes. Somebody can have, you know, driving bouts to the 
You can have an accident in a car I mean, all kinds of things can happen. Mm -hmm. But by and large, the system has worked extremely well. Um, and the votes, the mail, the mailing system has worked extremely well. Um, the problem and the question is, is Donald Trump going to try and delegitimize those votes? That's the biggest problem. There's no basis for delegitimizing those votes. Um, and different states have different laws about when those votes have to be in. So one of the things that Trump's trying to suggest is that somehow if you don't know the result on election night, you don't know the, the election's fraudulent. That's ridiculous. There's lots of elections that we don't know the result on election night. When right. Al Gore was running against George Bush, we didn't know the, elect, the, the results for almost a month uh, in, in that time. Um, in different states, every, as I've said before, every state regulates their elections in their own way. And so some states say the vote, the ballot has to be arrived, has to arrive at the uh, uh, Board of Elections by Election Day. And if it doesn't, it doesn't count. Other states have laws that say if it's postmarked by Election Day, it still counts. Well, of course, we all understand if it's postmarked by Election Day, it may not get there until two days or three days or five days after the election. And so those are totally legitimate votes. They were cast before the Election Day, obviously. That's why they have to election day postmark on them, uh, and they should be count and be valid. And they're no less valid than a vote that someone walked in on election day and, and pulled a lever, checked the box. Well, I think what you're saying is actually my, my biggest fear for this election. Donald Trump is someone who, uh, he tells you exactly what he's going to do. He's very transparent. He absolutely is. And he is already laying the groundwork, it seems, that if he loses, he will declare victory regardless, and he will say that it is illegitimate, that it was a fraud, that these mail-in ballots shouldn't count, and will try to fight it, try to challenge it in the courts, try to delay it. You know, there's there's not really the level of uh, decorum uh, that we're used to from presidential candidates with President Trump, and it it seems to me that he's not going to make a concession speech or or make a call if he loses he's going to have a big moment on a stage declaring either fraud or victory and and that is my fear and am i crazy to think that or do you have these same fears as well totally share those fears uh and honestly it could happen on election day uh we could imagine situations where he's sending troops or encouraging paramilitary groups uh, to stand near polling places, uh, to intimidate voters. There's a myriad ways that he could try and affect this election on election day or after election day. And we have to be very vigilant about not allowing that to happen. You know, the reality is our society functions because we all observe some certain norms. Uh, we try and do the right thing. Um, and it's true on the, on the basketball court as well. I mean, yes, <laughs> ref can foul. You try, uh, and you don't want that to happen. But by and large, I, I've never played professional basketball. My <laughs> guess is most of your fellow players are not looking for every chance they can to foul somebody, um, even when the ref isn't looking. You're most people most of the time trying to obey the rules. Well, you try to, but you only get six fouls. Yes. So you get six <laughs> fouls, you go on the bench. You can't play for the next game. I mean, Trump, you know, he's got more than six fouls, I'm sure, in, he, in he his does. term. So <laughs> no you go with four years. That. So. So you, you, you said something curious to me because I've had the same sentiments I think you and Jason have as well about, you know, I mean, I, I expect the unexpected, you know, between now and in January, because Mr. Trump says he's, you know, you have to be carried out the White House, you know, um, you know, you have to have the military, somebody get him out of the White House. And then you have these militia groups out there. I've seen it in Virginia and Charlottesville and all these other things that have been around the country. So. I don't know how you tell, you know, you, like how I tell my son, you know, in Atlanta, you know, don't go downtown Atlanta, you know, stay, stay off the street, you know, uh, don't do this, don't do that. And then you know, young 20, in the late 20s, early 30s, and they think they, you know, all world. So I'm like, you know, this is real. Have you ever seen anything like this in your tenure for especially three times uh uh, analyst of the year, three-time college player of the year. I mean, have you ever seen anything like this in your in your term in, in, in this world? No, look, th this is an unusual situation. And this is the point I was trying to make about norms. Most of us, most of the time, try and do the right thing. If we have people that are committed to doing the wrong thing, the system isn't really set up to stop them necessarily. Uh, we don't have refs calling, right. calling fouls and putting people on the bench. And 
if Donald Trump and the people that are working with him decide they're not going to obey these unwritten rules or even the written rules, they're not always going to get caught. We have to get, we have to be vigilant. We have to make sure that they get caught. We have to make sure that he's not permitted to delegitimize this election. Nothing like this has ever happened before. Um, even during the Civil War, we did not have the kind of threats of disruption uh, that we're seeing in, in this election. So it's very serious. Uh, it's unique. Uh, and it is a danger to our democracy. Right. Well, you, you've been following and obviously working on many of the, the polls in this election cycle. And I'm curious what the keys to a Biden victory are versus what the keys to a Trump victory are. Uh, is it certain issues that they need to focus on, certain states they need to focus on, a combination of that? It, it is a combination. But, you know, look, the reality is uh, if you look at where this race is today, or last week, and you look at where it was a year ago, it's almost in the same place. And there's a simple reason for that. Most presidential elections that involve an incumbent are about that incumbent. And people in this country reached a judgment about Donald Trump long ago. They long ago figured out that he was not suited by character, by temperament, to be the president of the United States. A major overwhelming majority of Americans think he lies. A majority of Americans think he's a racist. A majority of Americans think he doesn't care about people like them. They and this, they decided this long time ago. Um, and the race is, it's a 10 point race today, roughly. It was a 10 point race last year. Uh, so not a lot of change. There's been some ups and downs along the way, but we're basically in the same place. Um, so th the key for Biden is to try and keep this race focused on Donald Trump, try to make sure that people are focusing on his failures, on his character, on his temperament, and on his failures to be able to lead well in COVID and in general in the country. From from a Trump point of view, it's really the opposite. It's to say, this race is not really about me. This race is about Joe Biden and whatever invented problems Trump ascribes to him. Um, Trump has the harder task and he's not doing it well. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm optimistic. Uh, we got a lot of work to do. Everyone has a lot of work to do. But I'm optimistic uh, that Biden has a real chance of winning this election because it is about Trump and because people have reached uh, that uh, that conclusion. But the reality is there are states, a lot more states in play uh, this time than we assumed were the case last time. Again, right. nobody really thought that Michigan or Wisconsin uh, were necessarily even in play last time. Uh, they were, obviously. Trump won them by these very narrow margins we talked about. They're in play again this time, um, to be sure. But also states like Florida, which was a pretty Republican state before, uh, Florida has a real chance of going uh, Democratic, going to Biden this time. Very important state. Arizona has been going Republican very consistently. A real chance of going Democratic this time. Uh, North Carolina has gone back and forth. It's pretty close. Uh, either side could win. But again, a real chance for Biden to pick up uh, North Carolina. So there are a whole lot of states in play. And that's actually good news for Biden. They just made a big investment in Texas. Uh, Texas has been the centerpiece of the Republican uh, Electoral College uh, strategy for decades. Uh, the fact that Texas may be in play is dramatic, and the polls there are running pretty close to even, and Biden just committed to spending almost $6 million in Texas to try and win it from Trump. That would be an amazing, amazing victory. Absolutely. Are there are there a few states, let's fast forward to election night, and the results are coming in, and you see the big board a few states in particular, you just named some that you're really going to be focused on and and could be the key of this entire election. Well, let's presume that there's some places that Trump has to win to have a chance. Mm -hmm. um, not all, of them, but at least some of them. Very hard for Trump to win, for example, without Ohio and Florida. And those are states obviously on these toward the East Coast that uh, come in relatively early. Um, if Trump were to lose Ohio and Florida, you got to say he's kissing the, the, the White House goodbye. Mm -hmm. um, uh, there are a few other states like that that, that are going to be critically important. Obviously, you're going to be watching Pennsylvania, going to be watching um, Ohio, uh, Michigan, Wisconsin, uh, Florida, Arizona. Um, so there are a lot of states in play, but there are a couple really that Trump has to have to be able to win. Yeah, Texas is huge. Texas is a big state, obviously. I saw it when I played in Houston. But mm -hmm. one thing I'm, you mentioned something that just kind of 
got stuck in my crawl a little bit as far as, you know, Biden spent $6 million in Texas. These guys, I get the text message from, from Biden almost every day with somebody saying, you know, $12 here, $12. They raise a lot of money. Uh, I was curious, and it's not maybe an analytical question, but I raised all this money and I'm then trying to balance the budget for the country. But I, I mean, I just think there should be, okay, you raise a hundred million, you should figure out what to do with the best way. I mean, I always think there should be a limit what you can raise. And, and how you use it to show me that you are a good, you know, steward of this country's money. It just, it just baffles my mind. I know it's not in the voting analytics stuff that we all do, but I'm sure we all have an opinion about that. But it's just always been in my crawl. Like, I can raise $800 million for an election, but we can't get the water in Flint right. I mean, stuff like that just bothers my mind. But what's somebody else's opinion? Because you're closer to that than I Sure. And- Look, my view, the reason we didn't get the water in front right is because we didn't have the right people running the government uh, because our democracy was defective. And so the reality is we do spend a lot of money on 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 politics. But the amount of money we spend on politics is far less than the amount of money we spend selling soap or selling cereal (laughs) or on professional sports. Uh, All those things are important. I love cereal love sports people have to understand have to learn about their political system and the truth is if we have a lot of books and magazines and classes people aren't going to read them no. um more people are finding about more about donald trump and about joe biden and their positions on issues from these television commercials and these direct mail pieces and the texts you're getting and the phone calls you're getting than they are from any other source so on the one hand yeah it's dispiriting to think we're spending all this money on politics on the other hand it's it's really makes our system work uh, in, in in some kind of informed way. Without that kind of spending, hardly anybody in the country would know anything about what's going on, and that's a serious that would be a serious problem too. Yeah, I got a good point. Well, we've already had one presidential debate and a vice presidential debate, and we have uh, another presidential debate uh, on the horizon just a few days from now. Maybe. Uh, maybe Trump <laughs> just announced that he was not going to participate. So I saw see. that. So you know, you know, it, it, keeping up with this election is a full time job. <laughs> it, it is nonstop. The news cycle is is exhausting with this. Um, I read a recent column you wrote uh, asking the question: Do debates even matter uh, for the outcome? Because it definitely gets everyone's attention. People tune in. They watch. Uh, one. Who are these undecided voters? Because I feel like by now you should have a pretty well-formed opinion on who yeah, Donald Trump is and who Joe Biden is. It's very curious to me how you you still ha- haven't made up your mind. But two, uh, are these debates actually, do they actually matter when it comes to who someone votes for on Election Day? So, well, first, th- there are some undecided voters. Um fewer than there have been in the past. The truth is there's about half as many right now as there were at this point in 2016. Mm. So people have made up their minds to a much greater extent. But, you know, in these elections, we're fighting for a small group. I mean, the, the truth is most people made up their minds long ago, as I said, where they're going to vote right. for Joe Biden, where they're going to vote for, for Donald Trump, and they're not changing. But the elections are won at the margin. We're spending all this money. We're spending all this time and energy fighting for a very, very small number of people who could move either way. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you, the other thing we're fighting for is to make sure that people do turn out to vote because mm-hmm. they're people who've decided who they're going to vote for, but haven't actually determined that they're going to vote. Mm-hmm. So making that plan to vote is very, very important. And that's something also that that money is encouraging people to do is make those plans and actually vote. Um, as far as the, um, the other part of your question with respect to debates, mm-hmm. we have really not seen a debate where we can say definitively based on evidence that that debate determined the outcome of an election. Um, in fact, most people don't change their minds as a result of debates. Um, again, though, we're fighting for a very small number of people. And if one or two percent, that's not very many. Uh, right. But if one or two percent in the right states do change their minds as a result of debate, that's almost impossible for us to pick up in a survey, but it could decide the outcome of the election. So. Again, I don't expect these debates will decide the outcome, and I haven't seen evidence that any other debate has, Mm -hmm. but they could, uh, number one. Number two, um, look, on the one hand, uh, as I've argued elsewhere, 
I'm not sure that the sort of pugilism of these debates gives us much insight into how people are actually going to do as president. On the other hand, it is the one opportunity we have to hear them in a relatively unfiltered way for a sustained period of time. Um, people are willing to watch it. Large numbers of people are willing to watch it. Um, and it's an opportunity for us to hear them answer questions, deal with issues, get to know them. And it's important. It's an important opportunity for us just for that reason, even if it doesn't actually determine anyone's vote. Well, sure. over the history, I was watching uh, something with Steph Curry uh, the other day, and he put a video out just for the state of North Carolina for people to go vote. And over the history of our country and world, especially with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Jim Brown, Bill Russell, in those days, you know, they had a passion about politics and because of the stuff they were going through. How has, have you seen any data that says that that's effective in people? Because now we have social media, we can get on our phones, we can do a video. Back there, they had to do television and interviews and stuff like that. But it just was, uh, you know, Steph is in California, but actually he's from North Carolina. So he put out this massive uh, two-minute video on, on Instagram that says, go vote and telling people how to vote. So two-part question is, have you seen any impact over that from the years from a LeBron James, Steph Curry, the powers to be like that saying go vote? Two, how has the past of a Jim Brown or a Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or Bill Russell, how did that affect the vote back then and will that affect the vote today? Great question. So first of all, there's no question that urging people to vote makes a difference in terms of the turnout doesn't always make a difference, but it can make a difference, especially again. The most important reason people vote, as I tried to suggest before, is it because people they respect believe it's important that they go vote. And so when a Steph Curry or LeBron or whoever says to people, you ought to go vote, I want you to vote, that's creating an expectation. People that, whose opinion that is important to them are saying they should go vote, and that's why they vote. So it can make an important difference uh, in that respect. Uh, again, it's an obligation that we have, even if it didn't matter, as far as I'm concerned, didn't actually increase turnout. Um, you know, it's very hard to sort of point to any historical circumstances and say a particular effort by one person or any individual made right. a difference. Uh, we've had some very close presidential elections in the past. Um, and in those close presidential elections, again, anything can make a difference. But it's very hard to sort of pin that difference to one one action, one event, one uh, video, very hard to do. But we have had, you know, sports figures involved in politics for a long time. Uh, obviously, Kareem's a regular uh, contributor to the dialogue about politics uh, in this country. Dave Bing was a client of mine, mm -hmm. uh, was mayor of Detroit, um, did a fantastic job. Um, so not only a great basketball player, but a great mayor and a great politician as well. Good, good. I mean, it's, it's just all over the place, but it's it's a, definitely a rare time for us in our country and something we think we've never seen. So it's going to be interesting. Uh, it definitely is. You know, every year you hear politicians say this is the most important election of your lifetime. Every year. I, I grew up in a political family and every election cycle, that is the message that that comes out. This is the most important election. But right, this, right. this year really actually does feel different. Um, wh why is that? What What is the difference this year, Mark? Well, and the truth is, people agree with you. That is, there's always some number of people who say this election is more important than ever. But mm -hmm. this year we have the largest number ever saying this election mm -hmm. is more important uh, than elections have been in the past. Um, and I think the reason for that is Donald Trump um, uh, on both sides, which is to say there mm -hmm. are a group of people. I think it's a minority in the country. We'll see on Election Day. Mm -hmm. But there are a group of people who are committed deeply to Donald Trump, committed to him personally, committed to his policies. Uh, and they think that this is the op one opportunity they've had to get someone like Donald Trump in office. And if they lose this opportunity, it's gone forever. On the flip side. You have people like me who think that Donald Trump is a fundamental threat, not just to the policies that I advocate, not sure. just to the goals that I have for the country, but a fundamental threat to the democracy that is the bedrock of this country. Mm -hmm. And that makes this election vastly more important. I agreed, disagreed with a lot. I did a campaign against George W. Bush. I disagreed with a lot of his policies, almost all of his policies. Mm -hmm. But the reality is I had confidence that the country would go on even if he was president. 
If Donald Trump is reelected to another four years, I don't have confidence that this country will continue as it is, continue as a democracy. Wow. Uh, well, that is uh, let, let's try to end without such doom and gloom, because that is a, a very uh, true reality, perhaps, but but uh, not an easy one to end on. Uh, you know this race better than most. You know the numbers in the states, the issues, uh, the analytics. Um how confident are you uh, in the results of this election? And what is your prediction for what will happen on election night? Well, look, I, I, I try not to be in the prophecy business. Uh, it's hard to be a prophet. Uh, but I think if you look at the numbers where they are today, you look at the states, uh, you'd have to say that the greater likelihood is that Joe Biden's going to win this election. And I think actually potentially win it by a significant margin. Having said that, there is, as I tried to say before, always the possibility that things don't turn out that way. And that's why it's so important that everybody vote, because the truth is, if everybody says to themselves, you know what, Joe Biden's going to win, I don't have to bother voting, he's going to lose. Right. That is how you know he's going to lose. When you start saying to yourself, and people start saying to themselves, ah, he's going to win, I don't have to bother voting, that's when Donald Trump ends up winning. So it's critically important for nobody to assume that he's going to win. But again, chances are he will. Well, that's good to hear, I would say. That'll end on a little bit more personal note. Yeah, right. You know, but everyone does need to exercise the right to vote, no matter who they're voting for. People have died fighting for the right to vote, and it's the least we can do. You know, I, I remember years ago, I think at the height of the success of American Idol, where more people were voting for who won American Idol than voting for president. And uh, things like that boggle my mind. There's there's no excuse for that. Everyone needs to exercise their right to vote, uh, vote early and get out there and, and make sure that their voice is heard. Mark, uh, a last question that we like to ask all of our guests here on Center Court is to give you an opportunity to pay homage to someone in your life who helped pave the way for your success. You've obviously had a very successful career in politics, uh, helping elect so many candidates. I mean, 30 U.S. senators, 10 governors, over three dozen members of Congress. Is there one person in particular you basically want to give a shout out to, pay homage to, who helped get you to where you are today? Well, I have to say it's my, my late parents, um, uh, who, uh, both of whom were in their late 80s when they passed away in the last couple of years. But uh, they were people who made sure I got a good education, which enabled me to do the things that I've done. They are people who cared deeply about our country, about issues. Uh, and that's they are an important reason that I'm engaged in politics as well. So uh, standing on the, the shoulders of giants, as we all are, uh, <laughs> but uh, my parents were those giants in my case. What are your parents' names? Uh, Carl and Sylvia Melman. All right. To Carl and Sylvia. Tribute. Well, nice. Well, thank you, Mark. We, we really appreciate the time and the insight on this year's election, the most important election of our lifetimes, for real this time. <laughs> for real. Yeah, thanks so much. Uh, three time, three time to three time. I appreciate you, you joining us. And uh, we'll definitely have you back. And maybe after the election, we'll still figure out you know, what, what's happening with this thing. Because it's going, it's going to be a crazy ride, I do believe. No question about it. Ralph, Jason, thank you so very much for having me. It was really a pleasure. I enjoyed it a lot. It's all hour. Thanks so much. Ralph, that was great chatting with Mark about the race. You know, um, do you have your voting plan in place? Well, as I said in the interview with Mark, my mother uh, will be up there at 530 in the morning at the voting place. She'll be there. I'll be there first thing. And she usually takes it and we mail it in. So she controls, I mean, how we vote. She is very adamant about voting. Uh, she's seen it, you know, in her 82 years, the whole history of her life and voting in, you know, the 60s, 70s and 80s. So uh, we have to vote in our family. That's great. Uh, she's, you know, like my daughter in Dubai. She bought us in my she's in Dubai. She can't she can't do that right now. But making sure all my kids are, are voting. Uh, but she's passionate about it. So we do have a plan. We've had one for years and we'll be there probably first thing, you know, voting day. That's or amazing. even earlier, maybe this year. I mean, I'll see her later, but she might say, you got to vote today. So we follow her lead, but it's good. Good for her working the polls. How long has she done that? Oh, it's been many, many years. Uh, I can go back to probably the mid 
to late eighties, nineties. Uh, she's been doing it for a long time. Good for her. That's, that's amazing. And, uh, you know, just seeing someone, you know, your mother being so active in the political process, talking about the importance of voting, that's something that is passed down from generation to generation. And it is taught, you, you know, people need to know the importance of voting, understand it and make sure that they do exercise the right to vote. So, so cheers to her. Well, it, it's, and, and it's funny because in the early days, we thought it was just a potluck breakfast dinner that they would bring up everybody because all the women she knew and people, they, they yeah. stood there, they take food and this, that, and the other. We tell the issue, you can't take food. We got COVID, we got other things to yeah. deal with. So you can't eat out with someone else's plate or you, we're going to take you a box lunch and we're going to deliver it to you. Mm -hmm. So it's totally, totally different. But we thought it was that way years ago, but they all had fun at the voting polls and everybody came to vote. That was totally different this year with COVID and the, you know, the run of the presidency, presidency and all the stuff that goes on. It's just kind of a crazy time we live in. So uh, we are trying to protect her as much as we can, you know, with COVID and making sure that she stays safe. But she has her own mind when you're 82 and still can do what you can do. She's like, I'm, I'm got to get out here. I wear a mask. I wear a shield. I wear what I got to do. And we tell her you can't take it off. But mm -hmm. uh, it should be interesting uh, on voting day what happens. Well, wow, good for her. She is uh, passionate and committed, and that is amazing to see, yes. even during a global pandemic, which uh, is going to make things interesting. And things are going to continue to develop. There's always that October surprise that they talk about in presidential elections. We've already had one with Trump you know, getting COVID and, and that whole spectacle, everything that took place around that. But I have no doubt there will be more October surprises Uh between now and election day, there's going to be a lot more drama that unfolds. Absolutely. It's daily, you know, and we got, you know, 20 some days left. It's going to be daily until the election. And then afterwards, we don't know what's going to happen. So, uh, I mean, we get tired of watching the news and seeing what's happening next and then what's going on next. Uh, my parents watch it. I'm sure we all do somewhat. I don't watch it as much as I used to. I do look at the news at night just to catch up and see what's going on. But it's going to be um, something that we need to make sure we just stay on top of. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you all for listening to another edition of Center Court. Uh, this one focused a little more on our country and the election than sports, which we normally uh, tackle. But a very important time. We had a little sports. We had a three, three, three player, three play, you know, three times, oh, yeah. three times. We had a little sports, little analytics. So we well, threw a little bit in it. So we're, we're, we never get away from sports, but this no. was obviously such a historic time in our country and such an important time in all of our lives that it's something we really wanted to focus on. And we yeah, want absolutely. to continue to just urge everyone out there listening to go and vote and then have your friends and family make sure that they vote too. November 3rd is a very important day for the future of America. And uh, Ralph and I will be voting uh, and Ralph's mom will be at the polls again. I wish I could come visit her too. You'll have a great breakfast if you came. So early morning would be good. <laughs> exactly. Well, make sure to leave us a, a review, uh, rate us five stars and follow us on social media at Center Court 50, Ralph Sampson 50, Jay-Z Fish. We're going to have more great guests and bring you a new episode of Center Court week in and week out. So come stay tuned for our next one. Thanks again, Ralph. Stay safe over there in Virginia. You too, Jason. Thanks, everyone. Yes. And we will see you next week for another edition of Center Court. Welcome to another round of Boardroom or Miro Board. Today we talk retrospectives with Agile Coach Maria. Let's go. First question. You've spent two hours in a team retro, but the only input you've heard is Dave's. Boardroom or Miro Board? Boardroom. In Miro, Dave can't hog the space because everyone can add thoughts anonymously, online at the same time. Correct. Next. You need the team to act on feedback fast, so you turn all those retro notes into JIRA tasks instantly. Miro all the way. And I can assign those tasks to teammates. You're nailing this.
Now, you see hundreds of sticky notes from the retro. A real mess. But you organize them into five themes in just seconds. Miro, I basically get back an entire hour when I use its AI tools for clustering. And she's done it. Join over 60 million people running actually enjoyable and actionable retros in Miro. Get your first three boards free at Miro.com. That's M-I-R-O.com.